And uh, those of us, as we remain behind, we're going to turn to some time in the Word of God and and continue to pray that the Word itself, uh, by the Spirit, uh, works on our hearts and minds. Uh, God's uh, purposes and plans uh, for our good, yet uh, for His glory. So why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity uh, again to, uh, to be in your scriptures. Sacred texts, we might say, from you to us. Some people call it a, a love letter. Others have, have defined your word as a, a testimony to us of, of the person and work of Jesus. Some have said that the Old Testament is a a testament of promise and that the New Testament is a testament of fulfillment. I guess however we define it really doesn't matter as 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 long as it's centered in Jesus. And so we pray as we open up your word that your spirit opens up our heart and mind to what you have to say to us today. To remind us of that great love you have for us in Christ and what that love looks like in our life as we seek to live out our faith before the world and for the sake of the world. So we ask this all in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, today we are going to be in the prophetic, not me, mind you. Uh, But the Lord, the prophetic voice of God to the people of God through the servants of God. And for us today, we're going to hear from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, all right? And we're also going to hear from Jesus in the gospel reading from Luke. And both are bringing to bear the power of the word of God in our lives as the people of God. Now, listen to this from Jeremiah. And this comes at the tail end of the, a, a section, right, where he's speaking on behalf of God um, to the people of God, people who have allowed, permitted, supported false teachers in their midst. Jeremiah brings this. He says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? Is not my word like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces? right? Or perhaps this from Jesus in Luke chapter 12, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Is this the same Jesus, right? Aren't we used to Jesus telling us, love your neighbor as you love yourself? So what, where's this come from? Is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? For that matter, is Jeremiah, as a spokesman for God, able to offer you and me any comfort, any hope in our life of faith? Well, take a step back, take a deep breath, all right? Everything that you and I have ever been told about the love of God in Christ Jesus for us is true. T R U E. <laughs> true. There is forgiveness and mercy and power and life that he offers to you and me in his word, which is active and alive, breathes into our spirit. 
his purposes, his plans for our good and yet his glory. What you and I heard from the prophet Jeremiah and even from Jesus himself is only half the story, if you will, right? So it's time, I think, for the whole. But what's going on? Why this tone? Why this posture that Jeremiah is taking or that Jesus is bringing to bear on the conversation? Well, let's look at it this way. All right. So I'm a Lutheran pastor, right? At least I think, right? But I did not grow up Lutheran. I grew up deeply exposed to several different expressions of Christianity, all right? Yet, I would say that for whatever reason it is, and I think I have reasons, but I'm going to share that in just a second, I would say that here in our understanding of the word and theology, I feel most comfortable. This is the context, the context or the construct, uh, however you want to define it, where, where I'm at home. And one of the reasons, I think, is because of the historic sense of the love of the Word of God that our church body has, has possessed across the, across the centuries. How we teach other to read the Word uh, and, and, and cherish the Word, uh, and it's because of a particular contribution to the study and hearing of the Word, though, that I point to. And that's this concept called law and gospel. How many of you grew up Lutheran? All right. How many of you ever heard the phrase law and gospel? Right? Okay. A lot of, most of you have grown up Lutheran. All right. Very good. I would put it before you this way, and, and I could say it because I've had outsiders say it to me. But no other denomination develops such an insightful way of reading the Word of God and understanding the Word of God through this lens. Right? Even non-Lutheran churches celebrate its contribution to the interpretation of Scripture. I have a number of, of pastor friends who are of the Reformed tradition. Okay? I can't tell you how often they will tell me how much they appreciate this as a contribution to Christendom and our ability to read the Word and its ability then to make the Word available to us to understand and to apply so it works like this. Hebrews chapter 4 says this about the Word. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All right? Uh, the Word's sharp, <laughs> obviously, right? Uh, but the idea is that as you read the Word, as you hear the Word, the Word is acting upon you and, and me, uh, doing a number on us. That, that Scripture is not a static book of principles for living. It's more than that. Yeah, you can, you can glean principles for living out of the Word of God, absolutely, but that's not its primary purpose for its existence. But the Word is full of life, and it's full of energy, and it's, 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 it's full of the Spirit of God. And in the case of the Scriptures you've heard so far from Jeremiah and Jesus, uh, the Word's not messing around, right? At least in this particular context. Now, before you think the Word is simply here to make us miserable, right? A lot of people approach the Bible, unfortunately, as a, as a moral policeman, right? That it's simply here to... Um, uh, uh, 
direct or redirect our behavior and nothing, and nothing more. But before you think that, that the Word is here to, to make us miserable, let me explain it this way. Remember how I used the phrase earlier, long gospel? Again, some of you are familiar with it. Let me put it up on the, the, the screen for you and define it for you. It's a little, little, this is your theological lesson for the day, okay? Consider yourself seminarians for a few minutes here, right? But this is how we approach the hearing and the reading of the Word. The Word of God is, A, putting sinners to death, the hammer, Right? With the unremitting pronouncements of commandments and punishments, including the punishment of death, right? That is the law. The law brings to us conviction. The law can leave us shaking. And yet, we're not without comfort. Because the gospel comes, the gospel raises up saints with unrelenting pronouncement of the unmerited grace, forgiveness, and new and eternal life given in Jesus Christ. So whether you're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, you can use this framework to help you understand the call to repentance, yet also God's love how we can apply it to our life of faith. We're brought to a recognition of our need for God, but we're also brought to a place of comfort in God's love for us, that He will not leave us lost. Because what you're seeing and hearing is then that God is working for you. God is your advocate for you in Christ Jesus, and for you and for me when we hear the good news, right? The response of the people of God is joy. The response is thanksgiving. The response is enthusiasm. Think of it this way. We live in a world where there's this nonstop noise, right? Do it all. Become a better you, right? This constant barrage uh, that tells us that somehow we're not good enough. That you've got to be thinner, that you've got to be smarter, that you've got to be faster, uh, that you've got to this, you've got to that, right? It's unrelenting, nonstop. Got to make something of ourselves at least according to the standard of the world, or we're nothing. Yet the Word of God tells us that the world, because we're followers of Jesus Christ, the world no longer has a hold on us. The world can no longer condemn us because we can't live up to its unhealthy standards, right? In fact, Luther, writing in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Right? Free from what? Free from trying to please God. Free from trying to appease God, right? Free from, from living under the, 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 the chains of that, that noise, the burden of trying to become something which is impossible to become. He goes on to write, Stand firm, them, firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery he says, instead, live in the freedom of Christ. Live in the freedom of Christ. 
And so with law and gospel as a lens or a template to, to work through the word, then you go back to these blunt texts, right, which hit you like a hammer or sharp texts, which cut you like a sword or a knife, right? Texts that, text that convict uh, scripture, which is meant to help us see though God is at work for us. And in this particular case of Jeremiah, God is at work against those who abuse his word. God is at work against those who falsify his word, twist his word, misuse his word, uh, false prophets, right? And a false prophet, the text tells us, is anyone who says something opposite of what God says, (laughs) claims to speak for God, but brings a message contrary to God. And if you were to go back and look in that section of Jeremiah, you would see there's this whole list of things the false prophets are guilty of. For example, uh, from Jeremiah's text is the refusal simply to call people to repentance. Maybe uh, one is that, uh, yeah, to call people to repentance or, or somebody who says, you know, it's peace when in reality it's war. All right, let's look at it this way, though, from this other text. This is Luke chapter 12. Uh, If you were in the first uh, worship service this morning when we read the gospel in its entirety, uh, this is what the um, folks would have heard, and I don't want to leave you out of it. (laughs) So Luke chapter 12 says this. These are the words of Jesus. Again, this is the guy that told us to love our neighbor, right, as ourselves. I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I'm under until it's completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he says that it's not because the desired outcome is that families be against one another. Instead, it simply shows the consequences of the, of the unrepentant heart. It shows the consequences of rejecting grace in favor of trying to keep the law or live, again, by the suffocating standards of the world. Jesus knows his message is so radical in the best of senses. And so different from the message that the world has to offer that it will be rejected. You see, the word convicts, but the word comforts. The word brings correction, but it also brings lasting change. The word fills the void in life that cannot be filled with even the best of things, um, like healthy relationships or good physical health or a great job. The word reaches to the very part of our being that nothing else can access. Do you remember the text from Hebrews when the writer of Hebrews said to the marrow of your bones, right? That's the symbolic core of who we are, right? And that's why it's so powerful. And that's why those who abuse it stand under such condemnation and those who refuse it miss out on so much for themselves and those whom they love. You know, Proverbs 18 says this, that the word has the power of life and death. So as the people of God, how will we use it? 
Let me put a few things before you. So think of one of the first things that it asks us, okay, and this is where you can do some self-reflection for yourself. Does the word still convict you? All right, convict you. Do we still believe that we are sinful and in need of a Savior, right? Do we accept that? Do we accept that we are, in fact, unable to save ourselves and instead must rely on the grace and mercy of God to save us? Or do we not think that there's anything wrong with us? Do we spend so little time in the Word that... And more time in the world that our lack of reverence for the word has watered down our approach to the word. That it's watered down our conviction of the holiness of God. One way of putting it perhaps is everybody wants the goodies God has to offer, but not with the conviction of the spirit. We want the comfort that God promises us, but without the change His Word promises to do within us. We want to live in the world and be a part of the world to twist the words of Jesus. The Apostle Paul used a phrase called cheap grace, right? Or how about this? Do we still feel the comfort of the Word? The comfort of forgiveness I mean, if we don't feel conviction, well, we know what comfort actually feels like, right? Right? Knowing conviction helps us experience comfort. Or is really the comfort we seek from God simply the comforts of the world, right? Bless me, bless me, bless me. Does the word redirect our hearts and minds away from the chaotic and and broken world in, in which we live to he who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Or does the word have a prominent place in our lives in the sense that it, it shapes us and forms us as a, a distinct people, not distinct not only because we've been saved through the shed blood and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus, but distinct in the posture that we take up um, before the world, not against it, but for it so that it is clear that we do love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. You know, one of my favorite, I mentioned earlier, um, obviously I I didn't grow up Lutheran, but I did go to a Lutheran seminary, and I, you know, um, passed all the uh, prerequisites and tests to be a bona fide Lutheran pastor, I guess. Um, But one of my favorite texts that's been a part of my um, spiritual maturation, maturity, is this little book by author William Willimon called Shaped by the Bible. He was a professor at Duke University um, and retired since. Uh, But this is actually required reading in in one of our practical uh, classes. Um, But let me share with you a couple things he said about what it means to be shaped and formed uh, as a people uh, by the Word of God, because I I think it's important. And he says it much better than I could say it. So... um, So he says this, the church, okay, not just our church, but the church around the world and across the ages, right? It's a distinctive community being formed by the reading and hearing of the word, a peculiar community 
criticized as well, right? For its, if you will, reliance on the word. But then he says, what sort of people are being called into being by such stories as we see in scriptures? And then he goes on to say this, the function of the word was political. Okay, and he, he says, by political, I do not mean politics, as it has degenerated in our own time, um, you know, the aggressive securing of individual rights, the maximum number of personal desires elevated to the level of needs, which are pursued at all costs. Instead, he says the Bible is political in the classic sense of the word politics, uh, polis, a community, people, who gather to discuss what needs are worth having, what goals are good. And so he says the Bible then has to be read politically. That is, it must be read from the awareness of its desire to form a new people. Have you ever thought about that? That the Word of God for you and me, as it testifies to us about the love of God in Christ Jesus, also promises to form and shape us into a distinct and peculiar people. From the beginning, so here's an example. Remember the text I read from uh, Luke chapter 12 in Jesus? He says, from the beginning, the church was in complete contrast to Roman society, ambivalent or even hostile to the family. Early Christian leaders like Paul advised against marriage and familial attachments. Christian baptism had as its goal nothing less than the disruption of one's family since one was reborn in baptism into a new family. The prior natural birth into human family was overcome through the new birth of baptism so that the family name was changed and one was given a new Christian name, a new identity. And this identity was based upon the new standards of adoption and to the new family, the church. In baptism, the old distinctions by which the world lives were washed away. So the Bible became for the people of God a way of redefining reality for you and for me. And so I would ask you, does the Word of God define your reality? As a follower of Jesus, are you able to hear and see and, and feel and think differently about the world than others who are not? Do you feel profoundly shaped by the stories and characters of, of Scripture? Right? Is Jesus the, the interpretive personality and person for your life? If not, it's for us then perhaps a come-to-Jesus moment, right? Time for a Holy Spirit-led heart-to-heart with ourselves to receive from Him His love and forgiveness and that invitation to redefine who we are, not by our own efforts, but, but, why, but what Christ has done for us and what he continues to do for us, which we're reminded comes to us courtesy all of the Word of God. Right? You see, at the end of the day, Scripture, it's the revelation of God and his creation concerning his Son. 
And the word is going to be like a hammer on hardened hearts in some aspect, but that's a good thing, right? If it breaks that hardness and opens up that person to the love of God in their lives. And Jesus' words are going to be controversial at times, calling out sin where sin exists and yet not condemning. For Christ did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So he offers forgiveness and comfort in a life greater than the one that we can make for ourselves according to the ways of the world. So, the word of God for the people of God, long gospel, I guess, for our salvation and for our life. In Jesus' name, amen.